0: Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thee thanks for the season of Advent and for the waiting for the coming of the Savior who transformed all of human history. Open our minds and our hearts to thy holy scripture and empower us with the vigor of the word. And now may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year!
1: Happy New Year! As
0: it is. and um, uh, We will, during, this is just sort of a a hook to get you all back in future weeks, during the season of Advent, we will, uh, next week, Steve will lead a discussion about John the Baptist as the herald for the coming of the Messiah. And the week after that, we'll have a discussion about the... Magi, the wise men from the east.
1: Actually, it'll be the shepherds and the magi.
0: Oh, the shepherds and the magi. Perfect. And then the uh, fourth Sunday in Advent, we'll do our traditional um, nine lessons with no carols, which we've done for the past several years. So, those of you who are inclined to volunteer to read lessons, be thinking about which of the nine lessons you'd like to volunteer to do. And we'll come in and we'll distribute the uh, the entire set, and we'll read them, and then we'll talk about them as a whole. But for the first Sunday in Advent, we could not leave ourselves hanging where we were last week, as Dan read at the end of chapter 21, Paul, Paul addressed the crowd in the Hebrew language saying, and that's the end of chapter 21. So chapter 22, obviously, we can't just leave everybody hanging for the entire season of Advent. We've got to know what Paul had to say to the crowd. Now, to get back to um, to where we were, a, a, a short summing up so that Paul's words have a little bit of um, of context. In chapter 21... Paul was resolutely, actually he'd been doing it for a while, resolutely turning himself toward Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. And we see in chapter 21, as he, as he moves along the way, he is warned several times by believers that he's going to have trouble ahead and he should, not, he should not go to Jerusalem. In fact, one of them prophesied to him in a way reminiscent and worthy of Jeremiah himself. Um, He bound up his hands and his feet with Paul's belt as a way of demonstrating what was likely to be done to Paul when he got to Jerusalem. And of course, also reminding us of what uh, Jesus said to Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee about how one day you will be bound up in ways that you do not wish to be and taken in places you do not wish to go. But Paul goes to Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is to seek out the church in Jerusalem and go to see James, the brother of the half brother of Jesus, the elder. And the word used is presbyter. That's the Greek word that we get, um, Presbyterian. He goes to see um, the church in Jerusalem, and he reports to what he's been doing out in the land of the Gentiles. And he hears the report from the church in Jerusalem, and recognizing that there had been evil things said about him back in Jerusalem to make peace and to demonstrate his uh, devotion as a Jew, he um, goes to the temple with certain members of the Jerusalem church for purification rituals. And there he's set upon by a mob and he's beaten and he's thrown out of the temple. And the doors of the temple, the gates of the temple are slammed shut and the lock is turned in a, in a very metaphorical as well as a literal sense. And as the crowd is beating Paul, he is rescued by a Roman tribune. Um, a tribune with a cohort of soldiers shows up and takes Paul under arrest, uh, sort of um, under protective custody, if you will, and is taking him back with, a, with an escort of soldiers to keep the mob off, determines from talking to Paul that he's not this uh, insurrectionist who had a few years ago led um, a lot of dagger men out into the desert of Egypt and revolted against the Romans and then managed to disappear. And then he allows Paul, because he, he realizes that Paul is not that insurrectionist but who can speak Greek, he allows Paul to address the crowd. So here we are. Acts 22 I will read verses 1 through 21 and then we will talk about how this reflects on um, all, all that's gone before chapter 22 verses 1 through 21 and Paul says brothers and fathers listen to the defense that I now make before you when they heard him addressing them in Hebrew they became even more quiet. Then he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Silesia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From then I also received letters letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who who was speaking to me. I asked, What am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, Those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me. And standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour I saw him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his own voice for you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. Get up, and now why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. After I had returned to Jerusalem, and while I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, Hurry, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And while the blood of your witness, Stephen, was shed, I myself was standing by, approving and keeping the coats of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles that's paul's apology his defense his explanation it's really very clever paul starts off by addressing the crowd with reminding them about all of the things that they have in common he's a jews jew he was brought up to follow the law and the prophets he was a student of Gamaliel. Everybody knew Gamaliel. We met him in chapter five when he addressed the Sanhedrin with great words of wisdom about how they should show forbearance and not persecute the church, which, after all, might turn out to be really God's true work. Gamaliel was well known. He was uh, he was referred to uh, as Rabbon, which was a sort of a Hebrew. A term of affection for the meaning literally the greatest beloved rabbi, and um, here he was. Paul was reminding them that he was a student of Gamaliel's. He was also reminding them that he had been commissioned by this very Sanhedrin and the elders to go out and to persecute the church, and no doubt a lot of those elders and the members of the Sanhedrin were there in the crowd. They were probably whipping up the mob, and so. Here was Paul reminding them that some of the people who who, who are among you right now were the ones who sent me out to persecute this church. And surely if any of the the mob had turned to the members of the Sanhedrin they would have had to have nodded and and agreed that sure enough we did. We commissioned this Paul. So how was he turned? How did he come around to being a uh, proselytizer for the very church that he had been persecuting. Well, because, as he said, he had met Jesus Christ. He had met him, and he, and he described it in a way. we've We've seen this story before, right? We read this story in chapter 9. It was told in the third person. Luke was relating what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, but now Paul is telling it in the first person. This happened to me. And he's describing it in a way that these devout Jews would have understood was a real encounter with the real Yahweh, the, the, the bright light that, that, that blinded him, the words that he could hear that, that everybody else could, could hear but not understand and not see where the words were coming from. And we will see this one more time in chapter twenty-six. Paul will tell this story yet one more time in the book of Acts, and this time he will tell it to the to the Jewish king. But Paul finishes his um, apology, his defense, by saying that this that I was told that I would be a witness, and that I would be sent as the um, as the messenger. To the Gentiles. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for messenger is the word that we is the, the, the root of our word apostle. Um, but the word huh, witness, where he says uh, that that I was told that I would be a witness to everything that I have seen from Jesus, is the word that um, is a Greek word that is the root word of our word martyr. How many of y'all knew that, that martyr literally means witness? Probably nobody in this room really thinks of himself or herself as a martyr, but in perfect Christian truth, those of us who are witnesses for Christ are martyrs in the literal literal sense of the word. (coughs) The question I'd like to ask is the question, though, that we all ought to ask with a story like this. Is Paul describing more... Than just his own experience, or is what he's describing here uh, about this transformation? Is it something that's more universal? Can it be? Can it be really the um, uh, a sort of a template, if you will, for Christian experience? Remember the the three points: being a devoted follower of the law. Number two, meeting Christ. And number three, becoming a witness and a messenger. Is that a more universal thing than just Paul's individual experience? Well, certainly it was true for Paul. I mean, we we know that it was true for Paul, and we know that as Paul was preaching this, so complete was his transformation Um his repentance if you will the greek word for repentance remember that great sermon from andrew um pearson um maybe a year ago the first time i heard him say it the greek word is metanoia and it literally means it's the equivalent of a brain transplant repentance is such a complete turning about that one's brain one's mind one's soul is completely changed metanoia and um Paul is describing that for himself. No doubt Paul was not saying, as, as, as Frank has pointed out, he wasn't saying that, that having met Christ and being, and being coaxed to repentance um, had made him a better man, although it indescribably had made him a better man than the man who held the cloak of those who were stoning Stephen to death. He probably also wasn't saying that he was proclaiming Christ because it made him a happier man, though we can certainly read in Paul's demeanor a sort of an inner peace that denotes true happiness. He's telling them this because it's the truth, because he believes it to be the truth. But is that really, again, I ask, is is that more universal? Is it more of a a template for what should be the universal Christian experience. Well, I would put it this way. Um, Those people in the crowd, like Paul, were devout followers of the law. They were devout believers in the law. But what good did it do them standing by itself? I mean, the law was, in that context, only half the story. The law was simply the standard that leads to death because we can't keep it. And Paul was proclaiming, he was an apostle to, that, that, that way that opened up eternal life that, that redeemed all of us. Think about it in the modern context. Um, in our society... Uh, we hear an awful lot about what I like to refer to sometimes as oprah Winfrey's spirituality and not to pick on Oprah though she probably deserves it that kind of spirituality is is only half the story i mean if if all religious truth ultimately leads to God, if all religious experience on in on Earth ultimately points to God, then none of it does. Krishna consciousness or the or the five pillars of Islam or uh Confucianism. if those are just as valid ways to god then then this is not the truth that Paul is proclaiming. I don't know what what the modern world would say about that, but I am pretty certain I know what Paul would say about the modern world's Oprah Winfrey spirituality. And he's telling this crowd that it transformed him and that because of that transformation, he's not only the witness, but he's the messenger. And he's the messenger to the Gentiles. And this is an interesting point, I think. Paul is describing this dialogue he had with Christ about why he should stay in Jerusalem. Christ was telling him, leave Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, but they'll know me. I'll be the messenger, the witness who will come back to these Jews. They know that I'm the one who bound up the members of the church and threw them into prison and persecuted them even unto death. I will have a certain credibility With these people and instead Jesus says no go leave Jerusalem I will make you the apostle to the Gentiles how counterintuitive is that Paul the perfect Jew the one who should have had the most in in worldly wisdom should have had the most credibility with preaching to the Jews is instead sent to the Gentiles Who's the apostle to the Jews? Peter, Peter. <laughs> the ultimate hick. I mean, if you are if you are a devout Sanhedrin type Jew, you probably look down on a guy like Peter as the great unwashed. I mean, he he comes from Galilee. First of all, that's you know that's the sticks, that's the backwater, the the real first family of Virginia type. Pharisaical Jews all live in Judea. They don't live in Galilee. They're not fishermen. They're studiers of the law. They don't speak with that funny hick accent. And yet, in the counterintuitive way that God always works, that we're thinking about this Advent season as the way that God came to earth counterintuitively, not on a white horse but in a manger, in that counterintuitive way that God works Jesus is telling, Christ is telling Paul, get out of Jerusalem and go be the apostle to the Gentiles. And that is why Paul is explaining to this crowd why he is the apostle to the great unwashed, the rest of the world, not the Jewish world, but the the Gentiles. Now let's read about the crowd's reaction to this momentous news. Would somebody read, Starting at at verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter, which is verse 30. Any volunteers? Coffee, you gonna do it? All right, coffee, go ahead. Up to this
2: word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them
0: thank you coffee now that 's where chapter twenty two ends <clears throat> and it 's okay for us to wait a few weeks before seeing what Paul has in store for him in front of the Sanhedrin when the Tribune has brought the Sanhedrin into session to examine paul but um it 's interesting to speculate about what made the crowd so angry. it says that they were that they were um, throwing off their cloaks, and they were throwing dust up into the air. That seems like a very demonstrative sort of angry mob thing to do, but but why? Why why were they so worked up? Did Paul say anything that was blasphemous? I mean, I don't read it that way. Um, It seems to be that what really set them off was he said that it was the command to go to the Gentiles that really lit their fuse that um up to that point verse twenty two coffee read up to that point, the crowd was listening to paul but when but when they heard him say that that this Christ had sent him off his Lord had sent him off to be the messenger to the gentiles, that's when they They shouted, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Throwing off their cloaks and going through this demonstrative mob routine. So what was it about being the messenger to the Gentiles that Paul was saying that he was made them so angry? Well, both Stott and Barclay have something of the same explanation, and some of you may not buy it all, but I'll tell you what both of them say about it. That in the minds of contemporary Jews, going out to the Gentiles and making them into Jews, proselytes, was perfectly fine. It was what Jews were certainly accepting of, there were lots of non-Jewish in ethnic sense, believers. They were those who, um, we've seen them all through the book of Acts. One of them was a Roman centurion named Cornelius. But what Paul was saying was that he was turning Gentiles into Christians, and there was nothing in there about turning them into Jews first. Now why would the crowd care? Because I don't get the sense that this mob is a bunch of angry Christians. <laughs> I mean, do you? I get the sense that they're a bunch of angry Jews and in fact the way the way Paul addresses them it's clear that at least at least those who are being <clears throat> provocative in the crowd are the ones who were the devout followers of the law and the prophets. That is the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the members of the Sanhedrin, none of whom was a member of this Christian church in Jerusalem. So why would they care whether Paul was making Gentiles into Christians without making them Jews first? Well, Stott and Barclay both have this take, that what it implied was that there was some sort of an equality some sort of an equal footing between Gentiles and Jews, and that that 's what really, as I said, set them off that um, that one must before one could be considered to be a, a a Christian, one had to first be a Jew, and to be a Jew, one had to go through all of the all of the rituals and the and the the training and the the baptism. it was a rebirth that uh, that non-Jews had to undergo to symbolize this this rebirth into the covenant. (laughs) One gets the sense that that was also the preference of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Because in chapter 21, when Paul went back to see James, half-brother of Jesus, and they were discussing all of the things that had been going out of the Gentile world with everything that was going on in the Jerusalem (laughs) Christian church, one gets the sense that the Jerusalem Christian church was still made up of devout Jews who were now followers of Jesus. And this is one of the reasons why Paul was going to the temple for the purification rites and going with members of the Jerusalem church. Um, He was doing this in chapter 21 as a way of sort of cementing back for them his bona fides as a believing jew but you can understand in the early church there was this tension between those who believed that the church had to be made up of jews first who then became christians um, whether they were gentiles or not and those who were of a more hellenistic gentile mindset who believed that this jesus um, was something new and different it wasn't just a an, an offbreak sect of judaism any thoughts, comments about that? None at all?
1: You know, looking, looking in, in chapter 21, there in verse 27, the people that first got the crowd stirred up were the Jews from Asia and that were there. And, you know, everywhere Paul went, he went first to the synagogue. There were some that believed and heard what Paul said, but the other. Group in the synagogue, ran him out, and so these, to me, you know, the Jews that are from Asia show up and see Greeks, which would be Gentiles, in the temple. It has nothing to do whether they've been converted to Christianity. Is these are the diehard Jews, as you said, that are law, law, and prophets, and therefore Paul is, you know, the buying the temple just as it says Uh, and they just totally can't accept it I mean it's just so counter to everything they've ever heard regardless of the fact that he had been the one that had gone out and sought out the people of the way to kill him
0: how Mm -hmm. ironic in chapter 21 that Paul goes to the temple to undergo a purification rite so that he cannot be accused of defiling the temple, and yet he's accused of defiling the temple (laughs) and then thrown out of the temple and locked out of the temple. Um, Wouldn't
3: it be something like if we were in church one day and somehow, Is that really well bad? the way they
0: heard it yes you're probably right but that's not what Paul was saying Paul had from the beginning always preached the law and the prophets and that this Jesus was the when he went to the remember everywhere he went he, as Steve said he went first to the synagogue out in the in the, um, the Gentile world in his missionary journeys he went first to the synagogue in a new city and he preached to the believers that this Jesus the Christ was the Messiah foretold in the law and the prophets. But I understand your point that they heard it when, when the mob who had, who had come from Ephesus had seen Paul in Ephesus with this Greek believer and then saw Paul in the temple with this Greek believer and assuming that Paul was going to take this Greek believer into parts of the temple where um, Gentiles were not permitted, and they 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 started an uproar. And I I can understand your I, I take your point that, well, I don't know what that what he was saying here. I mean, I'm not sure, but in all these letters,
3: he was basically saying the law doesn't mean anything. And I, he didn't say that. He just said that's not the way. I and mean, the law is like you said earlier, being in his class, it's a standard that nobody can meet. Therefore. You need somebody to... You know, you need, there's a need for a Christian the, the redemption or the forgiveness of grace or the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, um, I don't know he kind of wasn't saying that here, but he was... Uh, it sounds... I mean, I'm just suggesting that perhaps he was saying something that was so counter to them. We're the chosen people. We've been saved many times by God. You know, what we, we're doing... Yeah, and he was, he was not... He was not saying, apparently, at all what they thought they believed. And he was he was somehow, he was saying, those guys over there, I'm going to say, you know, uh, the Muslims or the Gentiles or the Confucianists or whatever. I, I, I'm not saying it very well, but I, I just, I think the problem, he was pretty strongly, obviously, he was saying something very strongly against their basic faith and and their concept that they were the ones
0: they had the secret. Copy, did you want to take, did you want to carry forward what Frank was asking?
2: Paul was to the Jewish church or to the Jewish people and the in Hebrew faith what to a great degree Luther and Cranmer were to the Roman faith. Paul was trying to reform the Jews. Not to separate them, but to reform them. Luther and Cranmer, neither one of neither of those two, actually wanted to destroy the Roman Catholic Church. Their function in life or their mission in life was to reform it into a more pure form, to restore it to what it should have been. You know, before before the politics got into it and the selling of indulgences, and that is essentially. What Paul was trying to do, he was a zealot for the law and the prophets. He did not disbelieve them, but he believed that there was a that there was a there was more to it than that, and that he was trying to reform the Jews rather than create a whole new religion. Just as Cranmer and Luther, neither one really wanted to destroy the Roman Catholic Church, they wanted more to purify it and bring it back to what it should have been, as opposed to being a Muslim, you know, which is. I mean, that's taken a whole new tack.
0: Let's consider what this chapter says about Roman justice. Um, Paul was about to be flogged. I can't say that too strongly. If you've seen the flogging, if you've seen the... uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and it had to sit through that flogging scene. It's, it's excruciating. And it, from what I have read, it's, it's very realistic. Well, Paul was going to be flogged. He, he was going to be examined under flogging. He was going to be questioned under torture believe it or not, Roman law held that some types of um, confessions were only admissible if they were extracted under torture. That's so contrary to our 21st century understanding of constitutional law as to be almost incomprehensible. But uh, this was what he was about to undergo. Now, Paul wasn't above playing his roman citizenship card when it suited his ministry we don't think that he was doing it just to avoid the pain of a flogging because we know that paul had not shied away from getting beaten up and and almost to the point of death as we saw in in one of his um, is one of his missionary journeys his second missionary journey in lystra but here Paul plays that card, and this is the second time that the word has come to this Tribune, who we will learn in the next chapter is named Claudius Lysias, and uh, it's it's the second time that Claudius has heard this, and so we don't we don't know exactly why um, he didn't remember or he didn't believe, but in chapter twenty one. Um, Paul had told him that he was a Jew from uh, Tarsus and was a citizen. This was the second time that the Tribune had to be told that Paul was a citizen. Well, citizenship had its benefits. I don't know all of the details. I'm not sure that any but the most devout classical scholars do know all of the details of Roman citizenship, but notice that when he's having this exchange with the tribune the tribune had to purchase his citizenship and my commentary says that that was not the uh the kosher way no pun intended of doing it that that one could would purchase citizenship only but that's another way of saying that he had to bribe somebody but the point is that Claudius Lysias was not born a Roman citizen. And Paul was. Now Paul uses citizenship in all of his writings all the way through. And we hear Paul speaking through the narration of Luke in the book of Acts. He uses citizenship in an interesting way. He speaks of citizenship in ways that that we want to ponder in in the sense of 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 the theology of it he was born a jew he was born a roman citizen which is sort of like to say he was born on the pinnacle of the theological world as a jew and he was born on the pinnacle of the secular world as a roman citizen But neither of those things was the key to Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry had something to do with a truth that had nothing to do with how he was born. Claudius Lysias came to his citizenship by his own effort. Paul came to his citizenship by birth, but neither had any claim on the truth because the truth was completely outside of what made Paul a citizen and Claudius Lysias a citizen and what made Paul a Jew and that's I think an important theme that comes through in in Paul's writings all of his epistles and in his ministry he understands that the real citizenship that is the brotherhood and the sisterhood in Christ, is something that's completely outside of the accident of our birth or the striving that we do on our own. It is a a free gift. And so citizenship matters very much, but the real citizenship at issue here is what Paul is preaching in his missionary journeys. And with that, I think we can close the book of Acts at least until after the season of Advent and Christmas has come, and next week we will start pondering the the meaning of Advent as Christmas approaches, and then we'll come back to this, and as Claudius Lysias has called the Sanhedrin into session, we will hear Paul... Defending himself before the high priests and the judges of the Sanhedrin. And so until Advent 2, I wish you all a very happy week and a very blessed Advent, and we will see you next week. Thanks be to God.
3: Thanks be to God.